Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into a holy city, and he had, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to, to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. That is, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Outside the city of Jericho, the guide pointed to a large, to a tall, desolate mountain range and told us that that is the traditional site of the temptation of Jesus. On this highest mountain, in that desolate mountain range, you could see the walls of a Roman Catholic monastery, the place where Jesus was tempted by Satan. The next day we stood on another mount, the Mount of Megiddo, and we looked down over the fertile Jezreel Valley on the plain of the Via Maris, the valley, the, the road that connects the Mediterranean eastern world with the west. And the guide reminded us of the great battles of history that were fought on the plain of Jezreel and told us that, reminded us that many believe that the last great battle that is ever fought will be fought on that battlefield, the so-called Battle of Armageddon, and said, on this valley that you see today has been fought the most important battle in the history of man. He really wasn't that accurate. The most important battle fought in the history of man, the battlefield for that battle we saw the day before. It was in that valley of temptation where Jesus and Satan went into combat in that holy and unholy war. As a matter of fact, the history of man is the history of a war, an invisible war between God and Satan. And that war goes on and man is the battlefield. For the Bible says that man was created a moral agent. That means that he has the ability to choose right from wrong. God did not make him as the other animals. He made him distinctive. And that distinctiveness is that man has the ability to choose whom he will love and serve. And so God has sought the allegiance of man and seeks the love and the allegiance of man. And Satan seeks the allegiance of man. 
and man is pulled between the love of God and the allurement of Satan. Now, what is the strategy that Satan uses, his method to cause men to follow him, to get men to turn their back on God and give their love and allegiance to him? Well, this text tells us. As a matter of fact, the most important part or point in this text is not just that Jesus establishes the fact that the devil is a real personality and being. But the important point of this text is that he exposes the devil's method of operation, his moda, his MO, his method of operation. For what Jesus did when he encountered Satan in the wilderness was to drag the devil out into the light and expose his method of operation, the way he tempts man, how he gets man to follow him. And he has three bullets in his gun only three ways that he can attack man or tempt man. As a matter of fact, when Luke finishes his account of the temptation of Jesus, he says, and when the devil ended his temptation, he left. Now, it doesn't mean that the devil never tempted Jesus again. It doesn't mean that. It means that he exhausted every means at his disposal of temptation. He shot his gun. He shot the bullets out of his gun. For there are only three ways that the devil tempts man. Now, they may take various forms and colors and faces, but they're all the same. How does he tempt man? The same way he tempted Eve in the garden. The same way he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Number one, he appeals to our physical appetites to our physical desires. And I suppose that man sins more in this way than in any other way. It works so well with Eve. I mean, that fruit looks so good. It appealed to her senses. It was attractive to her eyes. It smelled good. It touched well. It's, it, it must have tasted delicious. It appealed to her senses. It made her mouth water. She wanted that. It was attractive to her. So here is Jesus out in the wilderness for 40 days and nights without food, fasting. And when the end of the 40 days and nights came, he was hungry. And Satan comes to him and says, Here are these stones. They even look like bread, loaves of bread. Here are these stones. Turn them into bread. His mouth must have watered. He was hungry. How cunning how innocent Satan is. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a man making bread. There's nothing wrong with a man satisfying his hunger. It would be foolish for a man to starve himself to death. Now, Lord, you have these hungers, and they're God-given. Now, Jesus, you have these powers, and they're God-given. There's nothing sinful about using the ability that God has given you to satisfy a hunger that God has given you. There's nothing wrong with making bread. There's nothing wrong with satisfying hunger except one thing. It just wasn't the will of God for him to do that. Now, here's the temptation. Sometimes you have to look beyond what is said to find out what is said. Here's the temptation. The temptation to get Jesus to use his powers selfishly. The, the temptation to get Jesus to use his ability on himself. Now everybody has power. You may not have the ability this morning to say to stones, be made bread and they're bread. But everybody has some power. 
And everybody has some ability and everybody has some talent, God-given power and ability and talent. The big question is, how are you going to use that power? What are you going, how are you going to use the ability and the talent? I mean, how are you going to spend your days? What is the main consideration? What is the criterion? What are you going, how are you going to use that ability that God has given you? What's going to be the determining factor? Bread or the will of God? I mean, how are you going to spend your energy and your time and the days that are before you in the next week? Are you going to do it to gratify your physical desires and that alone? Are you going to do it selfishly? How are you going to use the power that God has given you? He was a person that God has given talent to sing. The only time he sings is when he gets paid for it. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting paid for using your talent. There is something wrong when that's the only criteria. That's the determining factor, the dollar sign. Here is an ability to, 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 to be involved in economics, to make money, success in business. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, with making money, but if that's the only criteria, if that's the determining factor, that's, there's something wrong. Here is the God-given ability to preach or teach or heal, and, and, and the person only does it when the price is right. That's the fault. That's the failure. So he comes to Satan and says... To hang, to let the will of God be hanged. You've got you to gotta take care of yourself. You've got to meet your needs. You've got power to do that. Now exercise that power. You ever felt that temptation? Of course you have. Then he comes in the second way. The knock comes. He comes to attack our confidence and our faith in God. And so he takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple on the east side of the walls of the city where every Jew entered the city gate and said, Cast yourself down from this pinnacle. And it is written, he becomes the quarter of Scripture. He says it's written that God will put his angels in charge of you and you'll not dash your foot against a stone. He's quoting a prophecy from, from the Psalms. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. This is the prophecy. When Messiah comes, God will take care of him. He'll put his angels in charge of him and they'll not let his foot be dashed against a stone. And this is what Satan is saying. Is that really so? I mean, is God really going to take care of you? God said he'd take care of your needs. Is that really true? And he, becomes, and he comes to begin to cause a little doubt in our, in our minds about the trustworthiness of God. It's what he did with Eve in the garden. Oh, God, is really God as good as he lets on? If, he were, if he's not kind of an evil, if there's not an evil intention, why didn't he want you to eat this fruit of this tree? It casts a little uh, doubt on the goodness of God. You see, he's, he's saying this. If there's a question in life that goes unanswered, God must not be God. So here's a family who experiences great tragedy. Some great tragedy comes, and they come to God for some answers for that tragedy. Why did this happen? Give me some reason. God doesn't write it on the wall. God gives no pat answers. God gives no answers to their question. And so that person draws back and says, then God must not be God. He's always coming to attack our confidence in God. Or here's a young man who begins to tithe. Some preachers told him that if he tithes, he'll be rich. You know, If you tithe, God will bless you ten times. And so he gives his tithe, and he's not rich. And so he comes, must not be something, must, must nothing, be nothing to this thing called the promise of God. And God makes a promise, and the devil says, no, you can't really trust him. You can't really trust him. Here's a person just been saved. 
and yet he still sins and he still has problems and he still has conflict in his life and, and he's weak and so Satan comes and says, well, God must not really be God or you must not really be saved. He's always trying to attack us at that level and say to us, if there's suffering in the world, then God must not be God. You ever had that temptation? Of course you have. Can you trust God or not? That's the temptation. Then he comes in the third way and the script is always the same. He attacks us, he approaches us, he appeals to our personal ambitions. And so he takes Jesus up to that high mountain. From there you can see forever on a clear day. I mean, you can see down the Jordan Valley, rich, fertile Jordan Valley. You can see all the way to Jerusalem. You can see across the Negev Desert into the land of Jordan, what is now Jordan. I mean, you can see forever there. And Satan comes with Jesus to that high mountain and says, take a look at all of this glorious land. And it must like have been like a visual presentation flashing before some great screen all the glories of the land. And this is what Satan says. I know what you want, Jesus. You want the kingdoms of the world for yourself. And he did. I mean, the goal of human history, the goal of God's history is that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. I know what you want, Jesus. You want these kingdoms for yourself. And that was true. He said, I'll tell you how. I, I, I'm going to help you get them. You want this for yourself? I can help you get it. All you got to do is bow down to me. All you got to do is compromise. It's the temptation to compromise. So he comes to us and he says, I know what you want. You want to be successful in life. You want position. I'm going to help you get it. You want to break into that crowd you run with? I can help you get it. You want to be popular at school? I can help you get it. You want the boys to like you? I'm going to help you get that. You want that promotion, that sale, that wealth? I'm going to help you get it. All you got to do is compromise just a little. Just lower your standards just a little bit. You don't have to denounce God. Well, I'm not even asking you to denounce God. I'm just saying just add another God to the God you already serve. Just compromise. You're too narrow and rigid anyway. Nobody's, gonna, nobody's ever that narrow, that rigid. If you're going to make that sale, you're going to have to wine and dine him. If you're going to make that success, you're going to have to do a little knifing in the back. You're going to have to do a little bit of shady deals, just a little bit of compromise, lower your standard just a little bit. Now listen to me. There are very few people in this world today who will not trade gods if the world is thrown in the bargain. Well, there are a lot of us this morning who believe in Jesus and we believe that Jesus is Lord, but we want the world so much. We want this so much. We want acceptance and popularity and, 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 and status. We want it so badly. We're willing to trade our God in order to get it. Now he's saying, all you got to do is just compromise just a little. Just lower your standard a little bit. Just add one more God to the God you already have. That's all you have to do. Just bow down to me. You don't have to quit bowing down to God. Just bow down to me also. That's what the Israelis felt faced when they came into the land of Canaan. You say Israel was not a farm. They were not farm people. They, they, all they did, all they knew how to do was make bricks and tend sheep. <laughs> and so the people of Canaan came to the Israelis and said... Your God's fine for back there in, in the wilderness in Egypt, but you're in a new place now. This is agricultural land. And, and there's a God of the rain. And there's a God of the sun. There's a God of the harvest. And, 
and, and, and your God is fine for making bricks and tending sheep, but you need our God to make, to, to make the harvest. You need the God. You just need to add to your God, the God of the harvest. It's what he does to us. You in the city now, boy. Your God is fine as long as you're a junior boy back there in Podunk Holler. You're in college now. As long as you had your mother take care of you and your daddy to keep you straight, your God was fine back there in Podunk Holler in that little old country church. Man, you're in college now. You're in the city now. You're big now. You're grown up now. You're in the business market, in the marketplace now. You, you, your God's not good for there. You, you need another God for that. You, you need the God of popularity and acceptance. You need the God of commerce for there. Your God is fine for Podunk Hollow. It's not good for this place. You need another God for here. Just bow down to me and listen to me. There are a lot of us who say, Lord, I'm willing to, if you'll throw in, if you'll throw in that promotion, I'll trade God's. If you'll throw in that acceptance, I'll trade my God for yours. If you'll throw in that popularity, I'll trade my God for yours. If you'll throw in success, I'll, for, I'll trade my God for yours. I'll trade as long as I can get this world. I want so much that's right at my feet. Now that's the strategy Satan always uses. And that'd be a sad sermon if I ended there. Because there's always a strategy for Satan to defeat us, but there's always a strategy for us to defeat him. And it goes by the script. I mean, he does the same three things. There's only three ways he tempts. But Jesus not only exposed his method of operation, he exposed Jesus' method of operation. And that is how to gain victory over him. And he does so by quoting scripture. I mean, he quotes scripture that is written 2,000 years before. That is to say, 2,000 years before the temptation, there was a resource for victory over the temptation. Before there ever was a temptation, God gave us the ability to overcome it. That's the way he is. And the script is the same. Now, the way to defeat the devil, I want to share with you right now. I hope you'll get this before we quit. You follow the script, you gain victory over temptation. First, total submission by total submission to the Word of God. Now Jesus said, when he tell, told him, turn stones to bread, he said, you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now watch this. He is, I think we've done a disservice as preachers. We've said the way you, win in, you, know, way you overcome temptation is by quoting scriptures. <laughs> I've had people just quote all kinds of scriptures. Listen, you can quote scripture all day long and be defeated while you're quoting scriptures. He's not talking about quoting scripture. He's talking about subordination to the scripture. He's talking about total submission to the word, not quoting the word, but submitting totally in total subordination, in total submission to the word of God. Now this is the way he says it. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. It proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, the world has a shallow concept of how life is, how we live. The world's concept is that you stay alive by nourishing yourself. If you don't get enough nourishment, you die. If you get plenty to eat, you live. Listen, listen to me carefully. You're not alive today because you have enough nourishment to stay alive. You're alive today because God has decreed for you to be alive. Oh, somebody surely would get sparked with that thought. I mean, you're not alive today and well because you went to some doctor and he performed an operation, even though God uses physicians to do his work. Your hands are not in the doctor's hands. 
Your hands are in God's hands. And you're not alive today because you have enough nourishment and enough medical treatment and care. You're alive today because God decreed for you to be alive. He said in his, he said his word for you to be alive. I mean, a man can die on a full stomach. He can die at a doctor's office. We are here not because of the bread. We are here because of His decree. Now, the people out in the wilderness, and by the way, that's, why, that's where all of these answers came from. It came from their experience in the wilderness wanderings. The people out in the wilderness thought, we don't have enough bread, therefore we're going to die. They said, they went to Pastor Moses and they said, Pastor, you've got us out in this mess. There's not any, there's not any food in the pantry. There's not any bread in the refrigerator or meat, wherever you keep it. There's not any... I mean, you got us in this building program and we can't meet the debt. We're going to die. We're going to perish. We're going to lose it. You know what God was trying to get them to see? I hope you get this. He's trying to get them to see that they're not going to live or die in the wilderness on the basis of bread. They're going to live and die in the wilderness on the basis of His decree whether they live or die. I mean, they're in His hands. So are we. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, you know what that means? Now, watch this. If I believe this morning that my life is dependent upon the satisfaction of my physical appetites, if I believe this morning that the way I'm happy is the satisfaction of my physical appetites, that my happiness is dependent upon my having bread, you know what I'm going to put first? I'm going to put the satisfaction of my physical appetites first. But if somehow I grasp the fact this morning that my life is not de- is dependent upon God, upon His decree, what comes out of His mouth, then who am I going to put first? If my happiness is dependent upon Him, who am I going to put first? I'm going to put God first. That's what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when He said, Stop tearing yourself to pieces about ang- with anxiety. Stop worrying about how you're going to clothe yourself and feed yourself. He said, I'm going to take care of that. That's, that's not your business. That's my business. Therefore, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus just said to the devil, Hey, I'm not dependent upon bread for my life. I'm dependent upon the Father. You ever learned that lesson? Second strategy that Jesus used to defeat Satan. Not just total subordination to His Word, but sub- total submission to His will. Now watch this. He came up there to the pinnacle of that temple and said, jump off that temple and God will sustain you. And Jesus said, it is written, you will not tempt, you will not put the Lord to the test. And he was quoting from the, from the wilderness experience again. And, 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 and Paul even helps us to see that out there in that wilderness, they tempted God. You know what they were doing? They, they questioned God's goodness. They questioned God's power. They questioned God's ability. They questioned His existence. And he said, You'll not, you, you can't do it. You, you, you mustn't do that. You, you, man cannot tempt the Lord. Man must trust the Lord. Now, what does it mean to tempt the Lord? I want you to get this. This is what it means. It means to presume upon God's goodness. It means to take advantage of our relationship. I said Wednesday night, and I think it's true, that, that some of us just take advantage of our relationship to God. 
if Jesus had jumped off that temple, that pinnacle of that temple, uh, just to see if God would take care of him, you know what he'd be doing? He'd be taking advantage of his relationship with God. He'd be presuming upon God's goodness. That's what we do. I got a feeling that a lot of us in the world look at the world and say, man, I'd like to do that. Boy, it looks like so much fun. Man, I'd like to do that. I want that so badly. You know what? That's really not God's will for me. But I think I'm going to do it anyway because I can always get forgiveness. I, I think I'm going to do that. I, I know it's not right for me to do that. I know it's not God's will for me to do that. This is our rationale. This is our thought. But I'm going to do it. After all, all I've got to do is just ask God to forgive me and He'll forgive me. You know what that is? That's taking advantage of your relationship with God. That's a serious sin. It's what Micah talked about when he said, and the people say, we can rob and we can steal and we can plunder and, and it doesn't matter for God is among us. It doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want to. God's among us. He's not going he's gonna, to he's gonna forgive us. It's what Jeremiah meant when he said, you've made my house into a den of thieves, speaking the voice of God. You've made my house into a den of thieves. You know what a den of thieves is? It's a place where people run to hide for security and safety. You ever been to Robber's Cave? Robber's Cave's over here in eastern Oklahoma, I'm told. I've never been there, but I'm, I don't know whether it was really a robber's cave or somebody just dug a hole in the ground and said, this is a robber's cave and started charging folks. But nevertheless, in Robber's Cave, and you know what Robber's Den is, Robber's Cave is? It's a place where robbers fled. They'd go out and knock, a, knock over a bank or rob a stagecoach or steal a ranch from a poor widow. They'd head for Robber's Cave. They'd get inside robber's cave and they found security there and safety there. Oh, hear me. God said, this is what you do as my people. You go out during the week and you, 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 you plunder and you rob and you cheat and you're dishonest and you sin and you run to the house of God on, on the Sabbath day and you say, God's not going to hurt us here. God's not going to bother us here. You've made my house a robber's den where you flee for security. You're using my relationship. You're presuming upon my goodness. You're taking advantage of my relationship. It's a terrible sin. Are you guilty of it? Then there's a third strategy, and I'm through. By total submission, not just to the Word of God and the will of God, but total submission to the worship of God. He said... It is written that you worship the Lord God and Him only serve. Let me tell you something. You serve the God you worship. Thou shalt worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. You know what worship is? I hope you can get this definition. For I have a feeling when you leave this morning, you're going to say, I worship the Lord today. I worshiped. And we think that worship is coming inside of a warm building, singing a couple of hymns and listening to somebody preach. That's not worship. This is what worship is. Worship is putting God first in every area of your life. Worship is putting God first in every area of your life. So you can worship this afternoon and tonight. Put a little heavy stuff on you. Tonight and tomorrow. And the next day, 
in not even being in this building. It's putting God first in every area of your life. And this is the central issue. You see, the central lesson to learn is this, that so many of us want to possess two things that exclude each other. Let me illustrate what I'm saying. I want to be a fat, undisciplined athlete. You, you, you can't be both. You have to choose. I, I want to be an easygoing drifter and a successful physician, but I can't be both. They exclude each other. I've got to choose. I want to live an evil life and have a clear conscience and be able to pray, but I have to choose. For in one scale of value, watch this, in one scale of value, there is only one thing that can be first. And everything else has to subordinate itself to the thing that's first. Now, I may have to, if I let, if I put God first in my scale of value, if I put my worship of Him, putting Him first in every area of my life, may mean that I'm going to have to subordinate this business deal I've got to Him. It may mean that I can't be as popular as I want to be in school. I may have to subordinate popularity to my commitment to God. It may mean that I might not be as successful in life as I mean to be successful or want to be successful. I may have to subordinate what I call success to Him. For in one scale of value, there is only one thing that can be first. And the big question is, where is He in your life? Now, hear me. There is no victory in this life over temptation, over sin, over the devil until we have subordinated everything to God until He is really first. Now, there are two scripts. The devil uses one script and Jesus uses one. Are you listening? Here is the temptation. You've got some power and ability. Look out for yourself. Jesus says, I'm not living for self. I'm living on the basis of His decree. Can you say that? And the devil's script says, You want to be successful? bow down to me. And Jesus says, my worship, my commitment is to Him. The devil says, can you really trust Him? Jesus says, I'm not going to presume upon His goodness I'm not going to take advantage of his relationship. I'm going to trust him regardless of what happens in life. Do you willing to say the same thing? If you are, I want you to say it publicly. I want you to say it by an act of coming forward. I want you to have victory in this life. I want you to overcome. I want that badly. I want it for myself. I want you to find that place 
that gives victory in life. I'd like to tell you that you'll never encounter temptation. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that every temptation comes in the same way. And I can tell you, you can have victory over it when you subordinate yourself to His Word and to His will, to His worship. Would you do it today? Would you say to God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do? Your will above everything else, above my desires, my plans? If you want me to join this church, I will. If you want me to be a missionary, I will. If you want me to testify and witness, I will. I'm willing to give all my life to you. I want to, I want to be saved. If it means I have to go forward, I'm not ashamed of that. I'll be back, whatever it means. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. You willing to say that? I'm going to pray that you are, and you will be. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to do it. I got a feeling some of you want to come because we want more than anything else triumphant victory, don't we? Father, for this moment of decision and invitation, we pray for your presence and spirit, for your will to be done in every heart. Don't let us stay behind, away. Draw us by your Spirit to the place where Jesus Christ is really first and Lord. This is my prayer in his name. Now in the spirit of prayer, would you stand? And if God leads you to come, you come on the first word of this song. Right now, you come.